An all-new Classic Wax starts now. The positive vibration that music is... Please welcome your hosts, Ian Rice and Steve Sumner. All right, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Classic Wax Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Ian Rice. And joining me is my co-host, Mr. Steve Sumner. Steve, how are you? I'm all right. How's it going, man? Not bad. Not bad. I'm excited about today. We're doing an album that is a near and dear one to me. And I understand the same for you, correct? Totally. Well, I think that the, you ask how I am. The answer is I'm absolutely full of this album because we uh, we were right on the, the verge of recording this and then we postponed for a week. And of course, so I've listened to it like end to end endlessly for another week. So I'm I'm exploding with RAM. <laughs> that was all part of my cunning plan. Oh, is that what it was? It was, yes. I'm, I'm much more cagey than you realize. Devious, <laughs> devious villainy. So what's your background with this one? I don't. I do you know what? I don't remember when I got into it, but it's been a it's been a long time. It's not like a, a sort of early twenties one. Maybe it was a thirties one, but it's been with me, you know, a good sort of decade and a half. And it's just, I don't know. It's just a phenomenal sort of unique piece of work in the McCartney canon. I came to McCartney uh, solo stuff. I think as I've got older, yeah. I sort of, I've tried. I like the Harrison stuff. The Lennon stuff confounds me endlessly. It's like I'll dip in and love bits, and and I find an awful lot of it very frustrating. Don't get me wrong, McCartney's the most fr- frustrating man on earth, but it's such a big catalogue that there's so many sort of like avenues you can go down, you know. And and once once you find Ram and realise what a piece of technicolor psychedelic crazy mayhem it is, it sort of it grabs you and lets you know doesn't let you go. It's it's, it's amazing. I love it. Loved it for a long time now. See, the thing about McCartney that, you know, gets him a lot of criticism and gets him a lot of negative commentary is that is ultimately what I think makes him the most interesting one post Beatles is that I think he's, first of all, I think McCartney has the biggest creative flow and I think he's the one that's more willing to take a risk. I mean, a lot of the stuff he puts out, you know, that's sometimes criticized as being silly or or kind of frivolous sounding, or like Lennon used to describe it, uh, granny music, you know, yeah. is is really him doing what he wants to do and putting it out there. And I, I find that very admirable. Yeah. Or the other one was uh, the one, the other one as well as granny music was all that Lennon used to say was all form and no substance. That's harsh, man. <laughs> it is. Harsh. It, I, I mean, I like to think, with... I like to think some of that was born out of there back and forth a little bit more so than based in, in truth. But, uh, well, what McCartney should have said at the time was that's fine. But the problem with you, post Beatles, darling Jonathan, is that you are all substance and no form. 
because you know plastic ono band was so much substance you had to sort of you know go and wash yourself afterwards because you were covered in substance <laughs> it, it, it could have done with a little bit more form you mm. know and 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 that's 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 the thing you know i mean i think i think that first mccartney solo album was so stripped down you thought where's this going but then he sort of puts ram out and it's sort of i've heard it sort of described as the last you know the last sort of gasp of of beetle paul because he then sort of goes into wings and that's a whole different adventure you know i mean i mean wildlife is a wildly stripped down strange strange little thing that's very it's quite hard to love you know mm. whereas whereas ram sounds abbey roadish and you know even has stuff knocking about from from the get back sessions era you know and and it's sort of like the last time you're going to get this big beetliness from him there's still a sort of afterglow of the beetles hanging over it and that makes it all the more wonderful. Whereas <laughs> there's no afterglow hanging over plastic ono, but I can tell you that now. No, no. Uh, you know, I mean, I mean the, the big Harrison one. Obviously, that's that's got uh, lots of uh, Beatles goodness, you know, squeezing out of every pore. But that was because he it, it had been suppressed with him, so it needed to come out. But Ram, Ram's unique. You know, it's not like anything that comes before or after it in in, in the McCartney catalogue. It's amazing. So, what's your relationship with it? I got into Ram surprisingly. I mean, not surprisingly to all the many Black Crows fans that are going to hear this and understand completely. But I, I say surprisingly because it doesn't seem like a title that would instantly hover into the sphere through them. But I, mm. Rich Robinson, around the time his first solo record came out uh, in 2004, he had hosted an hour long radio program at a lunchtime one day, you know, a New York city radio station called Q1043. And he was playing all songs, you know, that were personal to him and he played too many people. And mm -hmm. I had never really dipped my toe into the solo Beatles stuff all that much. And I loved too many people so much. I, I immediately yeah. ran out and bought a Ram and I, I've just been tied to it ever since. It's, it's a, it's a masterful work. The thing I, I really admire about McCartney is his ability to, simultaneously write a pop single and then yeah. write the most experimental thing and have them exist on the same album and <laughs> coexist totally fine. Yeah. Ain't you that know? the truth. Yeah. And I don't think he gets enough credit for the experimentation no. that he does. Well, I mean, it was the same in the, in the late sixties. I mean, he was doing all sorts of avant-garde stuff and the narrative has become Lennon equals weird avant-garde stuff. McCartney equals granny music. And that's just not true. In a lot of cases, he he was doing the weirder stuff, you know, like you know, tomorrow never knows. Yeah, it's totally Lennon's song for sure. But all the tape, you know, all the tape weird sounds craziness was McCartney, and it, it's you know he he was the one they'd all sort of moved out to the suburbs and wanted a quiet life, and he was you know he was the only one that sort of stayed in London late sixties and sort of hang out hung out with all the weird artists like the re you know really weird art scene set and because of his reputation going the way it went and you know of course he shot himself in the foot as the years have gone on you know because he'll put out things like you know the Rupert Bear stuff and Wonderful Christmas Time and Love of Kintyre and half a dozen other things I could name where most of England will cringe you know <laughs> and and so he sort of he sort of directed his legacy in a particular way and not necessarily deliberately and, and a lot of this stuff gets forgotten but yeah he was as avant-garde as fuck <laughs> you know it's great 
and it does it does get forgotten and i also feel like in a lot of the camps it became well mccartney does the silly stuff and lennon does the you know the more artistic serious stuff and i don't think yeah. that that's necessarily the case and i just think yeah. for time it's somehow become that and they and they like you said it's it gets forgotten all this real interesting left of center stuff that he did yeah and also there's a there's a completely erroneous narrative about sort of lennon being the strong one and mccartney being a bit soft it's like you're just taking that from music it's like mccartney was a much harder edged character and i think much more sure of himself than lennon was you know it's like someone that writes too many people is is a bit miffed somebody who writes how do you sleep is deeply deeply wounded <laughs> you know and, and and incredibly insecure that's someone lashing out because of their insecurities so you know lennon comes across as the tough one but really he's lashing out because he's so wounded, you know, and I don't quite understand how the narrative went that way, but it really did. I, I mean, that was a very, very complicated personal relationship. And, uh, you know, I'm glad actually to have the, the get back film that oh, you know, God, yeah. monster oh. thing that came out, uh, you know, a short while back. Cause that really, if nothing else sheds a lot of light on the interpersonal relationships in the Beatles and kind of what was going on between all of them at the time. And it's, it's interest. That's the most interesting aspect. Yeah, absolutely. Mesmerizing that whole thing, wasn't it? Some of the, some of the footage was just, just jaw dropping. You know, you've, uh, you, sorry, you've been a Beatles fan forever and you think you've seen everything and you've read everything. And then, and then you sort of see that and it's like, Oh my God, this is incredible. And ultimately yeah. I think it wound up achieving what the original film was conceived to achieve was yeah. being that fly on the wall kind of thing and yeah yeah and that's what it did yeah. i think it's great and it didn't it didn't it wasn't the ultimate debbie downer which was everybody's problem with the first one it was like you know yes we know they're going to break up that's fine spoilers you know it's but let, let's enjoy what we're watching rather than just like having this like doom and gloom hanging over it the entire time that's not necessary we know it's going to end badly sometimes it's easy to look back you know this many years on and and see it a different way but you know it's it's you don't you can't fully understand what it's like to be one of the beatles and what they were going through and all the probably outside influences and other things that you know affected change to that group yeah and i think i mean i have to be careful how i put this but i think i think everyone getting married is as big as it gets particularly lennon and mccartney and that's not a comment on the, the people that they married it's just you you know you, you change when that happens and it's it's you know it's classic sort of best friends and then there's a you know another you know, it can happen the other way around as well. You know, then there's a, there's a partner involved of a different kind, and it, it changes the dynamic, and that that has to have played into it pretty big. Although <laughs> I'm not I'm not breaking any new narrative ground here in the <laughs> in the in the uh, the Owen and Linda McCartney stakes, but you know what I'm saying. He'd obviously, you know, the Beatles have gone to shit, and he's put McCartney the McCartney solo album out, which is seriously lo-fi, seriously lo-fi. And then Let It Be's come out and, you know, people are going, oh, my God, they've, they've, they've come to pieces and, and McCartney hasn't gone down well. You know, despite maybe I'm amazed being on there and junk and some great stuff and I love that album, it's not that's not gone down well. And so he goes, you know, to complete left turn. Okay, I'm, I'm kind of going to make second solo album, but I'm going to put everybody on this. You know, it's, this is going to be like, that was really small. This is going to be really, really big. And, you know, sort of grabs up, but, he's, but it's not like he's putting wings together. It's like, let's go to New York and sort of audition a load of musicians and, 
you know, uh, and, and see see what comes out of this. But the the thing, the this is so weird in McCartney's career. But do you know about this this guy, um, Eric the Norwegian, the the the, the producer of this album? I don't know too much about him, no. But 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 was well, so basically what happens is McCartney's got like thirty tracks or whatever it is, and he goes in and they record a track a day with this 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 group of sort of New York sort of top music, you know, session musicians, and then he he, he goes to you know, hey Eric the Norwegian, that's what everyone calls him. They don't call him by his name, Eric the Norwegian. They're like, here you are, here's twenty five tracks, you sequence them. This is Paul McCartney. He is like the most like you know, single-minded control freak ever. That's one of the main things that split the Beatles up because they were going mad because of his control freakery. And he's like, you know, he's, and he's super control freaky about every track that he makes on this. And he's like, yeah, you sequence it, man. And and so Eric the Norwegian sequences it, you know, splits one of the tracks in two, sort of sticks little bit segues between all the tracks. And McCartney's like, yeah, that's great, thanks. And he's <laughs> never he's never questioned it, never criticised it. So, so now I get into trouble on... McCartney and Gold, the other podcast I'm on, because you know when we have, you know, if we're voting for tracks, if I start talking about bonus tracks and things like this, I'm always told off because it's like, no, you've got to talk about what's here, and I understand that. But to me, Ram is a lot more than than the tracks on just the album because there, there's a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff that happened. So yes, let's talk about that at the end. It's probably worth mentioning the single that preceded it that. Oddly, was not part of the project, and yet, understandably, not part of the project as well. That was another day. Every day she takes a morning bath, she wets her hair, wraps a towel around her as she's heading for the bedroom chair. It's just another day. Slipping into stockings, stepping into shoes, dipping in the pocket of her raincoat. It's just another day. The office where the papers grow, she takes a break, drinks another coffee, and she finds it hard to stay awake. It's just another day. Well, it's such a beat it's such a Beatles mongus thing to do, isn't it? Which is, you know, we were talking about this the other day. It's like rubber soul. Rubber Soul, and again, I got into, I got into trouble about this. That you know, they'd say to me, Steve, stop talking about things that didn't get on the album. But I'm like, yes, but look at Rubber Soul, Day Tripper. And we can work it out. Were recorded in the same sessions as Rubber Soul and released on the same day as the album. That's insane, right? So this this whole idea of well, you you can't, you know, that's fine. If I want to, I've got Spotify. I'm going to take off a couple of tracks and I'm going to put on those two, and I've got the best Rubber Soul you could ever wish for. Thank you very much. And you know, but it's such a Beatles thing. Like like um, what's the Pepper one? Like uh, Strawberry Fields and Penny Lane, Double right. A side. You know, I mean, I mean that's that's just basically you know an extension of Sergeant Pepper, but we're going to put it out as a double A side. So another day is very much a Ram track. It's just, oh, well, Eric, the Norwegian hasn't stuck it on the, <laughs> you know, hasn't put it on the track listing. So let's put this out. And so that goes out and it's a pretty big hit in the States and the UK. I think, what do you think of it? Another day I'm a very big fan of. However, my opinion has always been if it, ended up on the ram record i don't think it'd be the same record i'm actually pleased that Ooh. it's not on the record to be honest with you okay That's interesting. i think i think it, it exists perfectly as a single yeah i wouldn't necessarily disagree with that it's really it's really 
grown on me over the years. Again, I think 20 years ago, I would have found it a bit twee, a bit, maybe a bit granny music-ish. But I, I, I think it's it's great. But again, classic McCartney. He's got at least two different time signatures going on, you know, and and he's he's sort of seamlessly moving between the two of those. And you know, it's uh, what was it? Denny Sywell, the drummer, said it was Eleanor Rigby in New York City, which is a lovely, lovely idea. I think that's really nice. And um, yeah, it's really nice. But of course, you know, another one that gets mentioned on How Do You Sleep. And now you're gone. You're just another day. It's like, oh man, you're going to be so. Lennon just, you know, is so specific. You can go through how do you sleep with a tooth comb, and it's just like, you know, all these horrible references uh, to things McCartney's done. But yeah, no, another day is great. I'm not sure about the way he does the do 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 do's. Sometimes there's something odd about the way he pronounces those. It's like do 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 do. Something a bit confusing about that. And yet yeah, somehow it's, it's, it works. Great. Yeah. I don't know. It's, you know, somehow it works. It's pure McCartney, though. It's like a little visual vignette of, you know, her day. And oh, it's wonderful. And also the first introduction, we get to Linda's backing vocals, which is going to be a big thing from this point onwards. A big thing, uh, in my opinion, a big point of contention for a lot of people. You know, that's oh, yeah. how I see it, you know. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, too right. I mean, you know, it's like people can say all they want about, oh, we brought Yoko to the studio. But it's like, I mean... Well, I think you'll find that not long after that, Paul put, you know, Linda on the whole album and claimed that he wrote half of it. You know, it's, but I think she nails it. I think she nails this whole album. How do you see that as the album being credited to Paul and Linda McCartney? Do you think that was a good move, bad move? I don't buy it for a moment. I think it was a financial move. I mean, uh, no, no disrespect. To, you know, just, just to be absolutely clear, I think that against terrible odds, terrible odds, Linda McCartney gets thrown into the fire and pulls some incredible stuff out of the bag. I think she contributes to this this album brilliantly as a vocalist and really adds to the, the, the sort of the texture of it and is a huge part of the sound that Wings then go on to have. So I'm a I'm a big supporter in a in a in a, in a lot of ways. Aside from the fact she's an insanely good photographer, but yes. the idea the idea that she wrote these songs. You know, I mean, it, I, I think clearly he was in a financial disaster zone because of the situation where he's suing Alan Klein and the Beatles. And as a result, he's got no money. You know, comparatively, he's got no money because none of, you know, Apple Apple's not giving him anything because it's all tied up until the lawsuit's fixed. So any money is actually years away. So the only way he's going to get any money out of this album is if he says, well, Linda wrote five of these songs and... Yeah, with me and, and and they go oh well Linda's not really tied into this Apple thing so I guess we've got to pay her for those tracks then and it's like oh great here comes the money around through the back door it's like you know you can see her running around the back of the farm going I've been paid here's the money and handing it over you know it was a I mean that's just shenanigans really I think yeah I mean unfortunately the music business is just that it's a business so you know sometimes yeah. you gotta do these things but I don't think her lack of perhaps genuine songwriting credit doesn't detract from her contributions to the record. No, I, I don't not think. at all. Not and, at all. I think it's really great. And I, you mentioned something that I think is worth uh, saying again, because I think it often gets overshadowed, but Linda Eastman was a fantastic photographer and she mm. continued to be, I mean, you know, some of these things she did over the course of, you know, the, her time with Paul, you yeah. know, uh, she's a wonderful photographer. She did not need Paul McCartney. You know what no. I mean? 
She could I have, have been... a, I have a book of her photographs behind me, a huge, lovely sort of coffee table book of her photographs. Some of my favourite, you know, Buffalo Springfield sort of doors, late sixties, early seventies photography is, is is rock photography is hers. Absolutely yeah. brilliant. And not that I profess for even a millisecond to know any of the inner workings of their their, their relationship, but I think their relationship worked because I think they had a mutual respect for each other's work. And I think it was very clear that she was not with Paul for his money or the fact that he was a Beatle. Oh God. Yeah. I think, I think, I mean, what a marriage clearly. Um, I've got a huge respect for that. The best, the quote that really got to me about their marriage, which was such a quiet, understated thing. I think it was Elvis Costello when they were doing flowers in the dirt in like 1989. And he was talking about going to the studio and he said, Linda was around a lot. And you could tell that he really liked her. <laughs> and he and he said a lot of a lot of guys don't like their wives, but he really, really liked her. And that made the atmosphere just really chilled out. And it was su- it was just such a gentle, like unhyperbolic thing to say, but I found that really affecting, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's why it was very heartbreaking at the time for me to think of Paul having lost Linda in that situation. Oh, I, I, you could tell that their relationship was very genuine. Super tight. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure, you know, I'm sure they argued and had bad times and all the stuff that, you know, happens in a marriage, but clearly they were tight and just properly meant for each other, like real, real partners, you know? So I, I cannot fault him for bringing her on board and I cannot, you know, and I have huge respect for, you know, she was like, oh, okay. I mean, they said to her, you're going to get lambasted for this. People are going to give you shit for the rest of time for trying <laughs> to be in a band with, with a beetle. I mean, you know, and she was like, I'll oh, go on then. I'll give it a go. I mean, that's that's bravery right there. Yeah, yeah think about the balls on Linda McCartney. To be oh, like, my ah. God. <laughs> you know? She was either very, very naive or incredibly brave, and I think she was incredibly brave. Yeah, I think she you know, ultimately just didn't care. She took that and waited against doing this really cool project with yeah. her husband, and then they just went for that. I mean, to, to, to try to be a part of the band that mm. – a beetle does after the Beatles. I mean, that's that's an uphill battle as it is. And and the yeah. fact that it was a side tangent, but the fact that Wings was so successful is is uh, if you think about it, it's unheard of. The guy has such a phenomenally successful second band. I mean, it's unbelievable. Yeah, and he and he and he built it up from absolute scratch mm. with Linda. You know, it's just like you know went down to nothing, and by seventy six, you know, Lennon was incognito. You know, off off the chart somewhere and and harrison had sort of you know sort of retreated from view as well and mccartney was the biggest band on you know the biggest act on wings were the biggest act on earth by the year i was born 76 you know they was there was they were straddling everything it's crazy to, yeah to, to build but to build that he didn't because he could have formed a super group he could have crosby stills and gnashed it you know mm. it could have been like hey keith moon come and play drums hey you know I was, well he could have had nobody he wanted and he didn't he got a bunch of unknowns and you know, but then that, you know, that that's a whole story in itself, because I think a lot of them coming back to the financial point, I think a lot of them leave because he doesn't pay them. And they're like, he's Paul fucking McCartney and we're not being paid properly and we're living on a farm and we're sleeping on like dirty mattresses with chickens walking around, you know, for like five pounds a week. This is ridiculous. I leave this band. And he's sort of failing to communicate that actually he hasn't got any money because Apple won't give him any. So yeah very strange situation it is i mean do you ultimately see ram as the 
the like the time period around Ram. This is like the uh, the embryonic stage of wings. I mean, this to me, it always seemed like this is where it kind of started and built from this point. The, uh, the- do you know what? I don't. No, I, I don't, and I can see why you you could because obviously people like Danny Sywell start turning up and Linda start turning up, so it's beginning to you know on paper it looks like Wings. But I don't think this is a Wings album in any way because Wings is, right, I'm going to strip it back to absolutely nothing, get this band together and make this dreadful sounding wildlife. You know, I mean, there's there's a lot going for wildlife, but, you know, it's like super stripped back because I've gone back to basics. So I think even though some of the personnel are starting to come together, Ram is like a big final... I'm a solo artist. I'm in complete control of every note of this. Here's George Martin doing the orchestrations. You know, like this is a big, big Abbey Road style production like I would have done at the end of the Beatles. And so, yeah, I think on paper you look at it and think, oh yeah, Wings is beginning, which is true. But I think musically it's actually the complete opposite. Oh yeah, no, I would definitely agree. Musically, not the starting point, just more so the like this the the seeds of what would become wings from yeah, a personnel, personnel standpoint wise. yeah for sure then in that case i take it all back in yes <laughs> yes no, is no. my shorter and better answer <laughs> i should have been more clear <laughs> <laughs> but so let's jump into this thing what do you say well whoa there you are not going anywhere young man until we've talked about what actually is if anybody believes me i don't know but my favorite thing in the entire project which, Which is, is. Oh, oh Woman, Oh Why, the B-side of that single. Well, yes, I, I, I apologize. That is a, a high point of that, uh, the project. It's a great tune. I see. I, I would have. I would have had that. I would have had that on Ram. I would have. That would. That would have. Got, I, it's actually top ten McCartney tracks for me. It's it's batshit crazy. Um, you know, my my wife walked into the kitchen the other day. I had a, a woman OI on loud, and she went. She sort of stopped, and this look came over her face, and she went, "Who who is this?" And I said, "It's Macca." And then this other look came over her face, and she went. No, it's not. <laughs> I thought <laughs> I thought that sums this up quite well. You know, it's out there. It is out there. You know, he's shooting a real gun on it. Yeah. Um, you know, there's all those lovely pictures on the archive edition of him shooting the gun in the studio. And I mean that that vocal is just I think it's it's my favorite McCartney vocal, to be honest with you. It's it's in the it's in that um Monkberry Moon Delight sort of oh darling style, I'm gonna like 
it's just it's like I'm going to take the top of my little Richard thing and blow the house off. <laughs> and I love the riff. I think it's the best use of a ride symbol I've ever heard. When the ride symbol comes in the second time, he goes through the verse. The desperation on it, I, honestly, it's. I don't want to shoot my bolt early here, but I, I think it might be my <laughs> favorite thing in this this entire project. And it's not even on RAM, and I love RAM. It it could easily be on RAM though, whereas I don't see another day fitting into RAM really. This I no, could see enough. being on there. Totally. If you were going to swap something out for it, what would you swap out? See, I was thinking Smile Away, but then I think mm. probably something more towards the end, not the not the closeout, but maybe like Long Haired Lady. Maybe I don't know. Yeah. I, I I don't know if I could. I think I might. Just no, say I don't it. know if I could. Yeah. I just stick it on a long playlist. I've got like an hour long RAM, and it's like that's this is the high point for me. But yeah, no, I mean, yeah, it's this. It's yeah, maybe even top five McCartney for me. I'm pretty much obsessed with it. So it is a fantastic track, and I didn't mean to try to. Uh, scoot right by it there and uh <laughs> be summarily chastised i'm sorry no that's it you're, you're, we're all fine now i'm gonna we're, behave I've, myself I've, now i've oh woman no wide all over you and everything's fine now <laughs> i'm scared to say can we jump into this record yeah. now? okay I've been... <laughs> ian lovely lovely ian why don't we i'm so sorry i've stopped you several times now why don't we talk about the actual album ram no nah, i've kind of lost interest <laughs> <laughs> i finished early you know what i mean i can't yeah it was, it was the build-up you know what i mean yeah but yeah. uh all right so track one let's do it it's okay. too many people too many people oh, oh it's so good it's just so good It's hard to find something not to like about this. I don't even get involved in the, you know, Lennon McCartney back and forth aspect of it. Like that's that's immaterial to me. That doesn't factor into any enjoyment really? of the track. It's just a But that's the fun. It is, but I when I first heard it, I didn't know that it had that subtext to it and I just enjoyed right. it anyway. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. But uh, I mean, musically, very oh. cool and very non standard, like the way the drums start and, and it's very I, I don't know how to it's eclectic. Yeah. Amazing acoustic guitar sound, amazing electric guitar sound, incredible vocal from him. There are, yeah, and there's a, there are a number of people who will tell you that McCartney's best singing is post Beatles. Mm. His, his, you know, that he really comes into his own voice wise in the seventies. And then, you know, obviously then it, it sort of slow, very slowly deteriorates from you know maybe the mid to late 80s onwards but um yeah i think i i i, I am of the opinion that his you know i i mean his singing on this album is i mean it's like it's a it's an instrument it's a proper instrument 
the amount of voice, the only person I can think of, which is a strange comparison, but there you go, who does as many different voices is Tom Waits. Mm. Uh, and, and he's really, you know, I mean, he's playing characters in when he does that. So that's almost like a, a, a different point. But McCartney on this album, he'll go from the Little Richard thing to the high sweet voice thing to the... Oh, gosh, you know, to the just straight up rocker thing to the middle of his chess ballad thing. I mean, it's, it's, that's an incredible instrument he's using there. Yeah. I mean, well, if you got it, you better, might as well use it, you know? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But I but, mean, but uh, yeah, too, too many people's as good as it gets. Fantastic lead guitar on this, too. Yeah. The tone, the just the solo, the, the I, I shouldn't say solo, but the solo type sections that, that occur a yeah. few times in it just, sound fantastic and they I sound mean, very him as well yeah and what a way to what a way to start a record yes um do are we avoiding lennon mccartney back and forth chaps then oh, no it's gonna... all out there we can address it <laughs> yeah but it's it's so interesting that 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 mccartney even a song that he is happy to admit was you know pointing fingers at lennon and saying oh stop being such a hypocrite you know, it is still this is, and this is why he's so free. I think because he'll write bits and pieces that mean things, and then just form words around them, and it will be whatever it is. You know, there's definitely stuff pointed at Lennon here, particularly in that you took your lucky break and broke it in two, and um, too many people preaching practices is very much sort of stop sitting in your bed for peace, and you know, it's like that's <laughs> you, you know, you're a, you're a chain smoking heroin addict that's horrible to women let's let's get over ourselves here people it's so you know it's i mean it's pretty compared to lennon's riposte you know how do you sleep it's pretty tame but clearly lennon was listening hard although do you know what the original lyric for you took your lucky break and broke it in two was what yoko took your lucky break and broke it in two (laughs) (laughs) is that right it was yeah (laughs) he did he did change that or at least that's how the story, that's what the story goes. Wow. Um, that's that sounds like it, you know, it sounds like an unbelievable thing, but I can believe it at the same time, you know. Yeah, it doesn't scan as well anyway. But I think that's the thing is that he would genuinely, I say that flippantly, but he does he does go for the for the scan. He will fit the words in that that work, mm-hmm. you know. And Harrison will Harrison needs a topic. Mm. Lennon needs a topic. McCartney will paint with words and sometimes there will be meaning and sometimes there won't. And it means you get a lot more output because he's not restricted by what am I going to write a song about? Yeah. And if you also notice, cause you mentioned the uh, too many people preaching practices line, that's the mm-hmm. point in the song where his voice becomes the most unhinged and the most raw. Yeah. You know, there's some feeling and some emotion behind that. Yeah. No, I think so. And I th- I think he hides it. You know, I think he, he in interviews and all sorts, he's always, you know, he, he, he's got a bit more open as the years have gone on. But I think McCartney there. of the two was always the, the most mindful of keeping that relationship, not on good terms, but keeping the door open to it to mm-hmm. perhaps, mm-hmm. you know, and unfortunately, you know, John was killed and, and, you know, you don't know what would happen from there. But he always, and to this day still, for the most part, does speak very highly of John and his relationship with John yeah. and the complexity of that relationship. Yeah. And, and they did uh, fix it by about 74 as well. So, I mean, but he never, he always, for lack of a better term, to me, always seemed kind of to take the high road, you know? Yeah. That's a very good way of putting it. I don't, I don't think he is particularly here, but it's not like he's mudslinging. You know, it's not like there's a, there's a million things he could have said that he doesn't. There's, it's a few, 
I saw a Yoko interview once where she said, you know, someone said, why did, why did John write? How do you sleep? And oh, and he said, well, you know, he listened to Ram and there were, you know, there were a few little sort of messages for us on there, you know, and he got annoyed and it's like, well, yeah, but they were all a bit obscure, you know, or hidden or whatever. So I think, I think if this is him not taking the high road, it's not like full on shit slinging, is it? You seem to be a little more in tune with the timeline here. Um, where does, you know, how do you sleep versus too many people and all that? How does that f- fall into line? It was Ram that upset him. Okay. If you look at, genuinely, if you look at the cover of, um, actually, I'm not sure whether it's on the cover or not. If you buy a vinyl copy of of uh, Imagine, I think it might have been on a postcard that came with it, but there's a postcard of Lennon looking at the camera with a with a grin, wrestling a pig in exactly the same way exactly the same setup of the photograph that McCartney is wrestling the Ram on Ram. And it was, it was just petty, you know, because it was like he, I mean, there's, there's a number of things he thought dear boy was about him, which it wasn't. He thought that the two Beatles, the picture of the two literal animal beetles screwing each other on the cover was a thing. I think some of three legs he thought was about that. It, there, there is a picture to be fair there is also a picture of paul and linda wearing like japanese like really sort of you couldn't get away with it now japanese like masks like mm-hmm. halloween masks with like you know with the eyes and everything and mm-hmm. that that i think he thought was was aimed at yoko and so so it was very much ram that upset him and that's and, and imagine came out not too much later that year but i think how do you sleep was a direct reaction to this album to me in hindsight it always seems like there was a lot of hurt between the two of them oh yeah at the fact that the everything had gone the way it was and underneath all that that anger and and spitting at each other it really was both of them were very hurt that the relationship went the way it would and that's sad that's very sad to me yeah yeah well i think that i think it was so odd the way mccartney got painted as the villain you know because when the court case was over i think the other three beatles got in a car drove to his house and threw a brick through the window it's like come on yeah and that's <laughs> really it's all very sad and and the thing that i i often get very sad for mccartney is the fact that john lennon was taken from the world very early and they don't have yeah. that ability to as older men look back on their achievements together and have that shared moment you know what i mean that yeah Oh yeah, appreciation of their mutual past, and that, that's that's sad. In twenty two, yeah, yeah, for sure. But no, I mean, I think, I think, I mean, you know, to to react as strongly as he did to Ram timeline wise, I think he must have been pretty brittle, <laughs> you know, because it it's not exactly a full on assault, is it? Yeah, and uh, there was nothing following that musically. That you know, no more uh, call and response kind of things after that, was there? Well, the next thing that comes up is on Wildlife, which is the next thing I think McCartney does, which has got Dear Friend on it, which is like a really, like, come on, man. Really? Surely, is this really the end of our friendship? It's just really sweet and just really gentle. So, I mean, it it stops pretty quickly. Yeah. It was was hot there for a minute, you know? Oh, yeah, which I love. I mean, I love it. That, that The thing is, Lennon being like, real, real man, doesn't affect me because Lennon spent his entire time doing that. So, you know, whereas McCartney, when McCartney, like a little bit of real emotion cuts through, it's like, ooh, chills, because it happens so rarely because he's, he's usually hiding behind a, a musical facade. Yes. 
<laughs> I appreciate the way you just delivered that. Yeah, anytime. <laughs> but so let's uh, let's carry ourselves through here to uh, track number two, a particular favorite of mine, and that is three legs. A dog is Why, why is it a favorite of yours? What do you like about this? I could never put my finger on exactly what it is I like about this track. I just like it. I like the way McCartney sings it. Mm. I like the sound of the guitar. And I think yep. it's a nice little cool down after too many people. Yeah. For me, it's the what the, the change of tempo to the the blues bit at the end. My dog, he got three legs, your dog, he got none. Oh, that's 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 my favorite bit of the whole album. It's just when it just that sudden change of tempo and it kicks in and it's so short, but it's so delicious. That's great. But yeah, I mean that was this was perceived as a as a as a thing to you know the rest of the Beatles as well. I mean, it's, 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 it's surreal nonsense in a lot of ways, um, lyrically. But you know the whole your, your dog he got three legs, my dog he got one. You know, and it's like when I fly above the cl- the clouds, and and again when I th- when I th- thought you were when I thought you was my friend, you know, and all, and you let me down, put my heart around the bend. That was you know again Lennon thought that was very much at him, but um, that's great. I mean, it's, it's again it's surreal, impenetrable lyrical soup but it's a lot of fun and i happen to like that too in the second breakdown section of the, i don't know how to term it correctly but in the second part where he's saying dog is here you know mm. and, a, and that little very light acoustic you know higher yeah. tones guitar behind it like mccartney is the master i think mm. at peppering in little what uh our friend jason Donches calls uh earworms so mm. like those things i think he's like the inventor of those in a, in a lot of ways his acoustic guitar playing is wonderful because he he never he's always surprising you know he's always doing something surprising he's either changing tempo or taking the chords in a direction you weren't expecting and he'll he'll do these incredibly simple things and then sort of take left turns and I, i'm all i'm always surprised by his acoustic playing you know it's i mean it's so it's hard to you know it's hard to think of anything i mean maybe um i've just seen a face of help you know that that's probably you know a gcd a minor e minor straightforward acoustic run through but i mean they are hard to find in the mccartney catalog anywhere because he's always doing something interesting and he always gets a good guitar sound as well. I mean, I t- I'm sure that's down to the engineer, but, you know, <laughs> again, his perfectionism means that I, I don't remember, I can't think of a McCartney record with an acoustic guitar in it where I, I haven't liked the sound of it. Well, I mean, think of it. His most covered song, the most covered Beatles song of all time is a yeah. McCartney acoustic number yesterday. And that's actually yeah. played in a very non-standard way. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It, it, you know, he'll, he'll the time signature is always interesting. It's like... You know, and then uh, even up to you know, Flaming Pie, he'd be doing things like Calico Skies, and I'm thinking, I can't play this riff because it, it's not like it's the notes are complicated, but you're doing something rhythmically so odd. 
that I can't wrap my head around it. You're McCartneying this thing up, and I don't like it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, stop McCartneying it, man. Stop just, back, just play some chords. As a little quick side note, uh, you mentioned Flaming Pie. What a phenomenal record. What a great let, late entry into his catalog. I'm just going to throw that out there Wonderful. for people who've never given it a chance. Yeah, yeah, it's great. It's really, really great. And it was that was that was the year Linda was was dying for want of a better word, and it was very much him sort of really properly reconnecting with the Beatles roots and sort of really saying, "I want you know, I want to make a a Beatles album in a way, but just myself." And it was oh, it's great. I'm so yeah. good. The song we were, you know, from the song we were singing onwards. I mean, how can you go wrong with that? Yeah, and it's got Steve Miller. Yeah. <laughs> So that brings us to perhaps what could be considered the title song in a way. It's slightly yeah. different, but uh, that's Ram On. Ram On If your heart to somebody Soon right away What a fantastic vocal on this yeah. one. You know, mm -hmm. the way he sings Ram on, give your heart to somebody soon, right away. Just the, yeah. the lilting high end of his voice on that. Oh, mm. fantastic, man. I've seen him do this live because which he, which was the only sort only tour he ever did live because the archive edition of Ram had just come out. So he was doing sort of a few little bits and pieces of Ram that he would never, you know, he hasn't done before or since. Mm. And he would just quietly come out with a ukulele and just do it with him and a ukulele. And, and he'd just get to the end and go, that's all there is. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was absolutely, oh, it was amazing. Can we so address good. the fact that he is playing a ukulele and how weird that is without coming across as weird? That's an odd instrument to really yeah. write, write tunes on, you know what I mean? <laughs> Well, apparently he was walking around uh, New York at the time with a ukulele. I don't know whether that was an affectation or or not, but he was apparently he would be in like the back of New York cabs with a ukulele, just sort of trying to write songs on it. And it's one of these things where I think he wrote lots of stuff on the ukulele, but this was the only one that was any good because you know stuff was pouring out of him, and it's just like I mean maybe I don't know maybe he wrote other songs that you know on the ukulele that became like big electric tracks or whatever. But apparently he was walking around with it everywhere. Does, does Paul McCartney really need an affectation? Like, there goes McCartney, the guy that always has a ukulele. You know, there goes yes. McCartney, the guy that always carries a biscuit tin. Like, do you really need to? You know, it's like, like it's like everyone everyone's forgotten I was in that band. They weren't big <laughs> enough. I need to do something. It's ukulele time. I'll be remembered for this. Yeah, I don't know. But that's that's the story, and just accept it. <laughs> all right, all right, man. But in the middle of all this ukulele fun, and then all of a sudden this wonderful electric piano comes in there, which is great. Oh, that's great. It's what an amb ambience this track has, doesn't it? This, to me, the whole album has that that ambience that mm. is a thread through it. And yeah. where it may lack in traditional songwriting, they're all held together by this through thread. Yeah. Like, this is that's, an album to me. Great. There's so many albums that you can listen to and they can't the tracks can't be separated from each other like you can't separate yeah. dark side of the moon tracks from each other really god no, no or a lot of floyd stuff but you know it, there's a lot of albums like that and this is definitely one of them to me i don't i mean do you feel the same way 
Yes, but I mean, obviously, Dark Side of the Moon. It's because there's sort, you know, there's a sort of conceptual thing, yeah. and and they link into each other in, in different ways. But I, I think with this, it's more just that, you know, it's produced and engineered in a way. It just has a this feeling about it, and I think you're absolutely right. You know, that, that it feels like a, even. I mean, it's it's so odd because you know, as I say, I've created this RAM playlist. And it to me, it just feels the same. It, there's something coherent about the sound and the feeling of Ram that that it doesn't really matter what order you put these songs in or whether you add extra tracks from the sessions in. It, 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 there's a coherence to it regardless, I think. I would agree. You can separate out the tracks and they stand alone great, mm. but they are just a tinge stronger when all together. And yeah. I think that's the great thing about them is you can have them singularly or collectively and they're just as meaningful yeah so do you know the the, the thing with the titles the ram stuff no i never knew a back a backstory on on the title and that kind of thing i, I mean it is an odd thing i just assumed yeah. it was because it's it, it living on a farm and that yeah i think so but he said he, he said um he said he was sort of driving in the car and and linda said that he always has he has this he has this face where he you know he's processing stuff and i can see he's processing something and she he, she said he had that face on and then he, and he just thought you know that, that, that he he'd like you know i thought i like the word ram there's something really positive about it you know ramming is sort of pushing forward you know and i've got to push forward in difficult times and this kind of thing i don't think it was especially meaningful but then the, the double sort of end to it is that ramon is obviously the sort of spanish way of saying ramon and his his stage name in the silver beetles before the beetles even kicked in was paul ramon mm. and so there's this idea that sort of ramon is is like a little sort of addressing himself you know it is again it, it doesn't matter whether there's a there's a truth to any of that or not it's just these nice little sort of detours you can go down but i like the idea he's singing ramon you know <laughs> as See, in you, slightly spanish right you bring up something like that i'm on board you start talking paul is dead i'm out you know what i mean that's yeah, uh, absolutely so, right that kind of theory i can get behind but uh you know <laughs> that's very interesting though i think that you know i could believe there would be truth to that as well it's just as i say it doesn't matter whether it's true or not it's just it's just it's cute i like that <laughs> it adds to the lore you know what i mean yeah oh there's loads of lore around this album i like and, and and that's that's always fun you know so that brings us to a track that i think is a very interesting entry especially early on in the running order here and that is dear boy i guess you never knew Obviously, as you had mentioned just before, Lennon took this as a slight against him in some way. I don't see it as that. I see this as the first of many times that the musical influence that McCartney yeah. has in his background sh kind of shines through. Yeah. And the stuff that it's, Lennon calls granny music, I granny always music. see as that musical influence, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah, it's hard. Yeah, I think it's it's definitely leaning to the whole granny music thing. Such so unfair. Mm. Um, but you know, yes, th- this is probably the sort of thing Lennon would be talking about. But yeah, Amos, do you know, Ian, what this mm. one is about? I do not. Okay, so it's completely and utterly not about Lennon in any way. It's very directly about Linda's ex-husband, because one of the reasons that she wasn't liked was, as well as marrying a Beatle, which lost her quite a few fans. She was also a, an American divorcee. It's exactly what sort of uh, Meghan, Meghan Markle's suffering now, you know. Mm. And, you know, how dare you be American and divorced and marrying a Beatle? This is like, you know, three strikes. That's it. Forget it. It was very much a kind of, it, Macca said that he felt like her husband hadn't seen her properly and he hadn't understood just how amazing she was. So it was a very, very direct sort of, song to him uh, sort of saying uh, you know i don't think you realized how great linda was and you know then i came along and snapped her up and she's mine now and thank god because you really you really missed the boat there man (laughs) it was kind of like hey thanks for fucking up (laughs) yeah yeah very much so very much so but it's um so yeah lennon was completely off beam uh on this one nothing to do with him at all but mccartney didn't talk about it until so the guy's name was mel c not the spice girl like mel c i think c double e maybe and he uh took his own life many many years later had a very uh sort of uh, difficult uh time and it was only after he passed away that mccartney started talking about what this song had actually been about hence the misinterpretation i think I, that's very interesting i never knew that was the background to it and i also did not know linda had been married prior yeah and you know, divorce, obviously. Yeah, yeah, no. Well well, because they had um was it Heather? Yes, because she she had a, a, a daughter that she brought um from that relationship. So because if you look at sort of the, the that the footage of them in Scotland during that time, it's it's the two of them and there's a sort of you know uh, a child sort of around who is too old to be theirs and that's mm. because it's a child from a previous marriage and paul basically just adopted her and she became mccartney and he's very much treated her like his own daughter since you know day one well that's a great uh, thing yeah yeah oh yeah he's a, he's a big on family and uh you know and, and kids i mean they had a strange upbringing those kids but they all turned out very well yeah <laughs> But, but yeah, vocal stacking, man. That's where we've got to go with this. Vocal stacking. What a set of vocals. Unbelievable. Holy moly. If you don't like it, there's a lot of it to not like, but thankfully I do, so it's all good. <laughs> I could see where, and this this could probably be used as one of the more solid examples. Like I could see where this album could be divisive. And yes. I could see where traditional Beatles people or traditional McCartney people perhaps might find this odd. I don't. It's It feels normal to me. This feels like something that Paul does, but I, I might also benefit from the fact that I came along to the Beatles and McCartney in hindsight. You know what I mean? I wasn't present yeah. as these things were coming out. I had the, this whole catalog to look back onto and, and yeah. where he came from then, where he went after. So it gives you a different understanding of everything. But I don't know. I just, I just think this is yet another winner in an album that's first side so far is an entire winner. Yeah, no, totally. And apparently the two, oh, there were two big people. I think it was Elton John and Michael Jackson who both said, yeah, that's the two, who who both sort of said that the, the vocal stacking on this was sort of inspirational. Uh, it was like, you know, proper like, how have you done that? Uh, and again, a lot of that's Linda. Mm. Um, and I think I think what he did, which was 
brilliant was he he would all over this album he would back Linda up so he would sort of double track her vocal with like her with herself and then sort of do a McCartney falsetto vocal and blend them in which again sort of became the wings sound as you say sort of going forwards but when when you add Denny Lane into it that became the wings sound but you know so he was very good at easing her into that because it sounds great sounds amazing Stick it, you know, stick a pair of headphones on and listen to that properly and amazing. I'm glad you mentioned that, as a matter of fact, the headphone thing. This is an album that is well enjoyed with a good pair of headphones. Well, there's a thing, right? Because for various medical reasons, listeners, that you don't need to know, I can't listen to things on headphones at the moment. So I, I'm, I'm missing some subtleties of these of these albums at the moment. And I, again, one of the things I get into trouble for McCartney and Gold is talking about the listening to the Beatles in stereo because I don't I do not think you should ever listen to the Beatles in stereo. The Beatles did not think you should listen to the Beatles in stereo. I think it's a travesty. But this album, again on the archive edition, which I don't own but I have heard, you can get it in stereo or in mono. And I think that this works in both because it's so lush and so rich all the time that having it in stereo can still work because you can hear, you know, 10, 10 things in my right ear and 10 things in my left ear and what a wonderful sort of blend is happening. Whereas, you know, the problem with a lot of the Beatles stuff in stereo was they they would kill it. So, you know, I mean, if you're genuinely trying to put the headphones on and listen to a Beatles album, you know, in a deconstructivist kind of, I want to hear every instrument individually, you know, whilst I read along with one of the in-depth books, great listen to it in stereo and you can have you know literally Ringo and Paul in your left ear and John and George in your right ear but you know Lennon used to say they've ripped they've ripped the balls out of the record it's like you know we we did this in mono what the fuck have you done <laughs> so you know that's that's my stance on mono versus stereo if the original intention and the original recording process was meant to be mono then yeah mm. that's that's how the band wanted you to hear it now that being said and this is probably where the hate mail is going to come in I think there are benefits to both mono and stereo of Beatles recordings. And I think mm. while the mono is the ideal way to listen to it, like you just mentioned, the stereo can also provide you with some insight into some yeah. things that are in there that then you can then go back to the mono recordings and try to pick out a little more. So, you know, yeah, I think if you're, an, if you've gone to sort of stage four, mm. you know, and and you're, you're taking a deep dive, then being able to hear them separate is great. But if if you're just trying to get the musical experience, I really I'm really anti the, the the stereo mixes. Now, in the case of Ram, was this recorded with the intention to be mono stereo or both? Oh, I don't know. I only found out about an hour ago that that I was re-looking at the back of the archive sort of thing and going, "What does come out of that? Have I missed anything?" And I realised that there was a stereo mix and a mono mix. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, whether it was my guess is that it was done in mono, but uh, I I can't fight my corner on this. I can't fight mono corner on this because <laughs> someone will write in and say it was recorded in stereo, you fool. Yes, and um, so I'm not going to. Actually, I have the archival release. I have to pull it out later and look. I have the CD Ooh, version, though, of course. Lovely, but I, you know, because I immediately bought that, of course. But uh, of course, have you noticed? This is a, a bit sidebar here. Sidebar. Have you noticed? Have you got the two the two CD mm-hmm. extended edition, right? Have you noticed that the extra tracks on CD two are slightly louder than the album itself? Yes, and I thought it was just me. 
Really? Genuinely, <laughs> you know, do you genuinely notice that? I do notice things like that. Yeah, but I, I always just assume ah, it must be me. Okay, so I'm gonna can I can I tell a story? Yes, sir. It's stick with me. You can always edit me out. It's all good. Never. So okay, because I noticed that and I was like, why? Why is sight? Why is the disc too? Okay, so I have a friend who's a Beatles nut. He will he will know more about the Beatles than you and I and several other of my friends put together. In fact, he just got Paul McCartney to play bass on one of his tracks. That is a true story. I will. That's a true story for another time, folks. But anyway, the point is he discovered this loophole with, with Abbey Road. There's a loophole. They did tours for a year in Abbey Road, and then it, they just they couldn't record because everyone wanted to go. So you can't get into Abbey Road for love no money unless you're mastering or recording. Now, if you want to record in Abbey Road, you've got to book the studio for like weeks at a time and it's going to you know that's a second mortgage right mm. but if you want to master one of your tracks it's like 30 quid an hour or something really <laughs> so so i took one of my tracks into abbey road and had it mastered right and literally there's just some nice guy and he's like oh yeah come in here we, you know we're like wandering around the halls and he's like oh do you want to see downstairs and we'll go to the kitchen and you know so i'm just wandering around abbey road and and this guy, because I was I was with my friend John, and, and he said, oh, this is the guy that usually masters my stuff. And I was like, oh, okay, well, nice to meet you. And we went and sat in, in this little pokey room with a little sofa, these massive great speakers. And John said, oh, can you can you play that, um, can you play Hey Bulldog through through the big speakers? And he said, yeah. So he put the Beatles on through the big speakers. And I was sitting there with, you know, I'm, I'm going, I'm in Abbey Road. This is insane. I'm in Abbey Road on this sofa with Hey Bulldog coming at me. And the guy next to me i realized through the conversation was the guy that was doing all of the remastering for mccartney wow. it was just and he was the guy that was mastering my friend's track <laughs> and i said i've just bought the ram uh two disc one and i noticed that the tracks on disc two are a bit louder than disc one what's that about and he said oh yeah i noticed that myself after i put it out because i think i did this and explained something he'd done with the desk and i said yeah i probably did it wrong it's a bit <laughs> it's, a, it's a bit of a mess up but uh no one seems to really notice so it's fine and i'm like this is wild this is wild i'm sitting here with the guy that mastered this in abbey road and he's just going yeah, it's just well, it's just the way it went, isn't it? <laughs> Such a bizarre experience. All for thirty pounds. I mean, it was something like that. Yeah. It was something wildly affordable because it was just this thing of you know you're just paying straight mastering prices, you know. And so I, you know, went in and and he went in as well, and it's like you know for for the sake of a couple of hundred quid or whatever, I've just walked out with a with a CD, and I've been wandering around Abbey Road like you know. We had a chat with at some point with some guy who was in the middle of doing like a. Uh, some sort of Stones live album, and he was he was like you know he's like oh Giles Giles Martin you know who runs everything now now George has moved on you know Giles Martin's in there and we've got we've got to do this and we're just having a chat over ice cream in the Abbey Road studio. <laughs> it's like this is this is wild, and they've got all the desks. They've got all these really old analog desks sitting in the hallways, mm. so it's really cluttered. And I'm like, why are they all just sitting in the hallways? And they're like, well, the problem is we tried to upgrade everything, but we can't. And I said, well, why not? And he said, well, you see that desk there? And I was like, what, this knackered old thing sitting in the in the corridor in our way? And he's like, yeah, that was the desk they mixed Sergeant Pepper and Dark Side of the Moon on. So we can't get rid of it because people want to record on it. So it's like it's like if we get rid of it, we'll lose half our customers. So we have to keep it and there's nowhere else to store it. So it's just sitting here in the hallway. And I'm like, this is this this whole thing's 
just surreal. You were just you were just leaning on it a minute ago, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, this. Yeah. Uh, this thing I just walked into. Yeah, it's like <laughs> I just stubbed my toe strange. on the leg of this. This is uh, Sergeant Pepper and uh, Dark Side, huh? Yeah, yeah. It's nuts. <laughs> but I said, I said, to, I said to the mastering guy afterwards, I said, "Wouldn't you prefer to like work in digital now?" He said, "Yeah, it's a complete ball ache, but we can't use other equipment because everyone's like, ooh, Abbey Road." dark side of the moon you know and it's like i want to use that equipment it's like all right fine you it's your money you know <laughs> see anyway. now i can appreciate that but by the same token i feel it's like playing eddie van halen's guitar it's more so the person doing the work on that piece of equipment than yeah necessarily entirely just the piece of equipment itself well i think people came to the to, it's not it's not just the cachet of wanting to sort of be in a room with it it's actually that people believe that those analog desks sound the best which mm. they may do you know it's like the ver- you know it's like a proper valve amp versus like an electronic amp or whatever you know so so people sort of say i want to record on that because i want i want to get as close to the sound of that album as i can and and sabiro goes all right well we'll, we'll take your money you know and, and charge whopping great prices for it and everybody everybody wins yeah and they don't have to invest in new equipment <laughs> there you go <laughs> Sorry, that was my Abbey Road sidebar. There you that's, go. That's staying in, and that was a fantastic story. Now, the next track up in the running order is perhaps the most well-known track on this album. Certainly yeah. a big one in the McCartney canon, and that is Uncle Albert, Admiral Halsey. Now, this is essentially, to me, two songs slapped together, and I'm fine with that. But you wanted to, we, you know, we touched on the musical yeah. influence, the Admiral Halsey part of this. Ooh, yeah, that's musical, baby. Oh yeah. Well, let's let's be clear. It's not two songs slapped together. It's let's think about this. You've got "We're So Sorry." That's one song. We're so sorry, Uncle Albert. We're so sorry if we caused you any pain. You've got that's another song. got ooh gypsy run around ooh Ooh, yes that's another song and you've got hands across the water four songs and if you look in the emi archive all four of those are listed as four separate demos with with their own little titles one's called like gypsy run around one's called you know whatever and so yeah i'd say there's at least four songs going on there it's such a mccartney thing to do and sometimes he nails it like on abbey road which of course lennon hated but you know it's like sometimes he nails it and sometimes he screws it up completely like on the end of red rose speedway where it's like the most forgettable shit you'll ever hear (laughs) you can listen to the medley at the end of Red Rose Speedway, which is like, what, two, three years after this, I mean, 50 times, and I still cannot remember a note of it. Mm. Totally forgettable. But he is the master of going, okay, I've got f- fragments of songs knocking about. I'm going to squash them together and create something wild. Okay, good on you. And in this case, it works. It absolutely works. I always was curious as to who Uncle Albert is. 
and I, I side note because you'll, I know you're somebody who at least understand what I'm talking about. Uh, I firmly believe that the character in Only Fools and Horses is, derives his name from this song. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Why not? I, I, okay, this is this is so this is getting weird now. I'm having a a late night conversation with someone who is in Long Island, and we're talking about Only Fools and Horses. <laughs> This is I don't I don't know what's happening, people. I've seen every frame of Only Fools and Horses many times. Yes, you're a comedy anglophile, aren't you? I am. It's the best stuff. Well, for, yeah, I mean, except, it, I unless know. you want to add Christopher Guest into the mix, but oh, Guest, amazing! And he pretends yeah, okay. to be English all the time, so you know. he does <laughs> very successful, better than a lot of English people do. <laughs> do you know, folks? He he. I got a text from Ian asking me about. What, what was it? What was what accent is it they're doing in open all hours? And I, mm. I just thought, I haven't thought about open all hours since the 80s. Why are we having this conversation? Hey, man, I'm a little right. late to the party on some things, you know? Oh, no, no. I just, there's no criticism now. I just, it's just it's brilliant. I mean, I, I do this, I've done the same with, with some American comedy stuff. You know, it's like, you know. Well, you, years you ago, I used to have to go somewhere, find the tapes, find American versions of them, play them. Yeah. Now it, with the advent of streaming, you have access to so much more stuff. Yeah. You on BritBox and things like that. Oh, of course. They get my $7 every month. <laughs> I love this. I love this. But yeah, no, it's a very different thing, isn't it? It's the old It's the old classic sort of British sitcom, you know, one person in a room writes six episodes, that's all you're getting, versus the American sitcom, you know, 25 people in a room writes, you know, a hundred episodes yeah. often successfully it's just a very different you know format it's two different approaches for sure oh yeah and the success in both i should say totally yes yeah, just a different game so what's your take on this tune you a fan oh i don't i didn't used to be i think i wrote it off as sort of mccartney whimsy silliness but since becoming a big ram fan i really really like it I, I wonder even now, would I put it on a McCartney playlist? Would I listen to it? You know, would I pick it out and listen to it deliberately on its own? No, I probably wouldn't. But I really enjoy it as part of Ram. You know, mm-hmm. and, I, and I, I, it's definitely part of the experience. And it's it's also fascinating to think about, you know, a time when this, this could be a number one single. I mean, yeah. what sort of world is that? The Uncle Albert portion of this i think has this thread of melancholy that is unbelievably yeah. good yeah, and yeah. the rest of it is a bit silly and it maybe detracts from that original emotion but even the silly bits i kind of like like the, the you know the whole butter pie thing you know it just seemed yeah. like he had nothing else on that one so he made a, I know. a joke out of it but it, it kind of showcases his humor in a way yeah there's some definitely there's some questionable stuff on it but it it, it sort of ends up being charming overall rather than on the wrong side of it but i could i'm not going to argue with someone who's like what is this crap there's yeah. there's lots of stuff oh, i can't do stuff i would really you know defend hard if this gets up your nose i understand i love it but i do understand yeah i could i could see both sides of the argument for sure i think this is where i would have put another day if another day was going to be here i feel like because i mean this was a big hit as was another day and I feel like maybe this should have been the big hit that wasn't on the album and Another Day should have been on here. But it sounds like you don't agree because you feel like Another Day stands outside. Presenting it that way, I could see it I could see it fitting right in this spot. And I could see 
what you're saying about this track being more of a uh, a, a, a one-off, like a standalone. Yeah, I could I could actually get behind that. I'm willing to uh, alter my uh, opinion based on what you just said. <laughs> this is all too jovial. Let's cut this bit out and have an argument. <laughs> all right, here, let's do the ultimate take of that. Fuck you, Sumner. I'm not accepting that at all. And uh, <laughs> so yeah, I'll decide no, which one we're going to use later. All right. Okay. Yeah. You're too nice. <laughs> no one's going to be convinced. But this, the next track after that, though, I probably one of the strongest tracks on the record, in my opinion. I've always loved this one. I love the way it starts, uh, I love the way it ends. And that's Smile Away. One, two, three, four. Guitar on Smile Away, fantastic. The riff in the beginning, oh my god, it's it's the thing that Oasis songs are made of. Uh, you know, this is where they, I, yeah. you know, cop their sound from. I think things like this. Yeah, you know? it's the bass. It's the bit. Do you know? Do you know how he got the bass sound on this? How? Because <laughs> you know, you go to it and go, oh, you stuck it through some sort of fuzz pedal, obviously. And it's like, no, he recorded eight basses. Is that right? Back to, yeah, he recorded the bass eight times into the mixing desk and just layered it and layered it and layered it like Phil Spector style until it was just ridiculously massive. That's crazy. Got to respect that. Yeah, it's great. Often the the most unorthodox ways of recording something yield the best results. Like, you know, the kinks, you really got me. It's not distortion yeah. on that. It's a damaged amplifier, you know? Yeah, <laughs> like, slashed or whatever, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. I love that. <laughs> so, you know, that's I, I like that. I like to hear non-standard way of recording something yeah. turns out to be something like this. I mean, this is a fantastic track. The way he sings it at some points, yeah. snarls it yeah. at some points, it's just, it's fantastic. There's this strange thing that happens on this album that used to really annoy me, which is these slightly slurred background vocals that they do on a number of different songs. And I mm. think this might be the first instance of it. I wonder how to do it. I wonder how to do it. And you're going, oh, what's all that about? And once, once I realized that those were real words and sort of looked them up and spent time with it. It was like, oh, okay, because it, it, it because the song is so slight lyrically, it's like, okay, you know, what was what's all this I can smell your feet miles away stuff? This is a bit odd. And because all the backing vocals, you know, because it's smile away and it, all the backing vocals are sort of I wonder how they do that and we're learning how to do that and all of that sort of stuff. And it's like, oh okay, you know, because there is that idea of you know, he's having a terrible time around the time of this album. And he's just coming out of like the darkest period of his entire life, like proper alcoholism didn't get out of bed for like six months, you know? Mm. And, and this idea of, you know, I'm learning how to put a smile on, you know, and face the world. I, I mean, again, I don't want to over take it over literally because it is a lot of, you know, Macca word paint, but those backing vocals, once I'd sort of deciphered them, do, do add a, a, a layer, unforeseen, unforeseen layer. Yeah, well, you got to put in a little work, but it yields a positive result. You know, you you know, you have this whole other depth to the song. Yeah, but it, it does beg the question about the whole album. Why does he do that woozy, 
slightly drunk, slightly slurred background vocal thing. Cause it happens again in backseat of my car a couple of times and two or three of the backseat of my car ones are real lyrics. And then two of them are just sound, but sounding like lyrics. And I, and I, and that's always, I'm obviously we'll get there soon anyway, but that's always bothered me because it, it gives me a sense. Oh, you haven't finished it. This is, this is placeholder. I could, I could uh, see it being interpreted that way, but McCartney also has a tendency to do odd things like uh, uh, meaning like for example the way he sings let it be is mm. not normal for his the way he sings it's different it's yeah. an affectation on his voice but it works yeah yeah, yeah. but you if you stop thinking about it, you go, why would he do that but he just did i always see it as like the things that you're talking about right now those those background vocals when i hear them i guess again benefiting from hindsight it's just well it's just mccartney that's just what he does you know and, and yeah but really it's a it's a a risky thing to do because it's not normal to do that. And it's not something somebody normally does. And when you have as much expectation as people probably had from a former Beatle putting out his second solo album to do mm. kind of nonsensical or left of center things like that, it's a risk. It is. And again, one of the things we've not talked about is, is one of the other legacy issues he is saddled with is that he's a bad lyricist. You know, that, that is, that is a reputation that follows him around. And, it's difficult because often he is. <laughs> you know, I don't think he is anywhere on this album, even when they're complete nonsense, because I think they're so deliberately nonsense and so willfully nonsense, and it's so part of the the charm and the wind that's blowing through it and the energy of this album that I think it's fine. But um, I think it, there there are future times where, you know, he he doesn't always nail it. Um, but again, he's brave enough to just put the stuff out anyway, either brave enough or, or perhaps later a bit silly to do it. But here, I think it's definitely brave. I don't necessarily think that McCartney is a bad lyricist. I mean, he his body of work is so large that you're bound to run into some very poor lyrical things. And yes, there's some things that he does that are very, you know, very much so miss the mark. Yeah. But there's other things that he does. Like if you just, if you think about the song Jet, like lyrically, they, that's very cool. It it's doesn't necessarily yeah. have this huge depth, which is what he does with sounds and words. You know, yeah. Hell, Helen Wheels is the same way. You know. Oh, I see. I find that I find that pun thoroughly irritating. I used to, and I don't anymore, because I, I've uh, I've come to appreciate the song a bit more. But you know, he's yeah. It's 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 a common thread for him. It's what it's a thing he does, and it's something like oh, it really like is. in this case, it annoys the hell out of you. But uh, sometimes it doesn't, and sometimes it does. You know. Yeah, but I but again, I think he's really interesting lyrically because he he only starts being genuinely personal by the time of what I mean. When's Chaos and Creation in the backyard? What's that like? Oh, is that early two thousands? I mean, it's it, it's it was early two thousands because I was in college at the time, and I wrote I remember writing a review of it for the paper. Yay. it had to be like oh two oh three something like that did you review it well i did enjoy that album very much yeah it's great but the thing is there's some really personal stuff on there and it's only mm. by that sort of stage and memory almost full and those kind of albums that he really starts being properly personal and and directly personal and that's a, a real sea change for him because you know you have to push through the veil of wordplay for years before you get to that um, and sometimes it really doesn't work. It just so happens that we're talking about how where it does. Yeah. But he's McCartney enough to try it every time. Yeah. Absolutely right. <laughs> back to back, I like these two songs. The next one, 
right after Smile Away works for me, and that is Heart of the Country. There's something vocally about this song that really appeals to me. Always have. I like the way he does that kind of scat kind of vocal yeah. mirroring the the acoustic guitar picking. Yeah. It's very reminiscent to me. Not reminiscent because this was first, obviously, but reminds me of what Gilmore does in Wish You Were Here. Yeah. Good call. And I kind of just like that. Uh, when when that works, it works really well. And I just overall yeah. enjoy this song a lot. And I think for me, it's like I have no issue with the scatting because scatting is obviously, you know, that's why I, I find that ambiguity of is he singing a lyric or not. I can find that troublesome, whereas scatting is scatting. It's like there's there is definitely no lyric here. I am scatting, yeah, and that's fine, you know, and it's brilliant. And I have no idea. I assume that that guitar and vocal were not done at the same time because that seems impossible. But um, God, it works well. Absolutely, and it's kind of like a I picture in my mind uh, the, the the thing about a lot of mccartney songs is they give me more you know of my own personal mental visuals than maybe a lot of other people's music do for some reason i don't know why but i just kind of see him on his farm singing this one you know yeah well, it and seems it kind, topical for the time doesn't it yeah it kind of fits the fits the theme of the album or, or the time period of the album to me you know yeah i think it's so, for me it's all about how he pr- pronounces the word hoss i'm on hoss <laughs> I wasn't going to bring it up because I thought it was oh, just me, and I was like, "That's nitpicking." But yeah, that it is weird. <laughs> oh, I love it. It's like I'm not going to pronounce this in an English way. I'm going to do it in a really unnecessarily American way in a song that I'm not really singing in an American manner for the rest of the song. It's like, okay, cool. And I just do want you want. to know, I have never met a fellow American that says "horse" that way. Come so. <laughs> <laughs> on, us. Do you? Okay, it's brilliant. Oh, it's brilliant. And yes, he's doing that lovely, that lovely, sweet voice, isn't he? Mm-hmm. But. But uh, yeah, with this, we see with something like the scatting. What I, what I would love to know about McCartney is because it's about the vowels. He doesn't go ooh 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 ooh. You know, it's like You know, it's like okay, am I doing a D sound for this one and a W sound for this one and a Q sound for this one to lead me into another D sound? A D B D B D U U R. You know, it's like did you map that out? Did you? spontaneously did it spontaneously fall out of you and we'll never know because he's never you know no one's going to ask him that because no one's that interested and he probably wouldn't tell you anyway but uh, you know it's like was that just spontaneous musical genius or was he up all night with the towel over his head you know like trying to (laughs) trying to work out which consonant went where see but that you know in the past i've always looked at like why are there so many goddamn books about the beatles and paul mcgarney this is yeah. why because they have yeah, so yeah. much stuff like this just for lack of a better term rammed into their music yeah. and uh you know nerds like us want to know the origin of these kind of things you know absolutely right absolutely right my god i can't believe you suggested we were nerds how rude and accurate I use that as a uh, a term of endearment, by the way. Just so Absolutely right. No, no, it's all good. Mate. Me too. Me too. <laughs> I'm just being fakely indignant. Let's move on. <laughs> all right. So the next track up in the order here, probably one of my favorite song titles of all time. That's Monkberry Moon Delight.
what's your take on this one? Oh, I love it. Do you know, apparently the McCartney family still has like a special drink that they have that they call Monkberry Moon Delight. Is that right? Yeah, that they have at home. I don't know. It's like a cocktail or what, but you know, I love that. This is my favorite tune on the whole album. Really? I'm, I, yes, I'm a, firstly, I'm a big sucker for McCartney's Oh Darling voice, which again, what is why I like Oh Woman, Oh Why so much. I, I love it. Apparently this took 90 takes. Really? 90 takes to get that vocal, which is very similar to what happened with Oh Darling. And if you listen to, but I sound really English when I say, I'm so aware of my Englishness talking to you. Oh Darling. Oh Darling. (laughs) Oh Darling sounded more English than I'm used to sounding. Yeah. Oh Darling took many, many, many takes. And if you listen to it, it's worth it. You could see why he did it because this, I mean, I, it's one of the weaker tracks on Abbey Road, but for me, it's a high spot because of that incredible, incredible vocal and if you listen to outtakes it doesn't it's not quite right and the same with monkberry he knew what he wanted because it's this kind of feverish anxiety sort of dream scenario surreal painting thing you know full of sort of fear and uncertainty you know in in its in its tone if not in any actual sort of direct lyrical content the vocals just Oh, it's so good! It's so good! It's it's mad! It's mad! It's it's probably my favourite McCartney vocal ever. I love it so much. Batshit song, batshit crazy. You see, now some things work, you know, like a one and done, one take done, and then mm. some things you just need that time. And and I think doing that many takes lets his vocals have that quality to it that he's trying yeah. to achieve like you can't get that on you know the first or second or tenth go around you have to yeah. be in deep into it to get your voice to sound like i mean it's like a gargling glass basically you know yeah and it was recorded i think not the same session but like back to back either mm. on the next day or whatever with oh woman oh why <laughs> so it makes sense how, how he had a throat after that i do not know yeah, but I mean, uh, I, that unhinged McCartney definitely is is a sight to behold. And, you know, you mentioned Oh Darling being one of the weakest tracks on Abbey Road. If that's your weakest track, then you're doing all right. You oh, know what I mean? Yeah, totally. But like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just mean that there's, you know, there's not there's not much to it in a lot of ways in that it's a very straightforward sort of blues pastiche situation. But but the vo- vocal for me, as I say, it makes it, it makes it a high spot of that album. For me, it's not for everybody, but it, it is for me. But the lyrics here, I think, are a real strength because I think this is where he most leans into this is, the, you know, don't try and take this seriously. This is a Salvador Dali painting. And I think it's a Salvador Dali painting that kind of really gets that anxiety, you know, that he was going through at that time. But he doesn't need to say that in a literal manner you know he doesn't need to be literal it's all it's all sort of skewed it's not even skewed in metaphor it's like these these lyrics are too surreal to be metaphorical it's like you know to be metaphorical something has to have a degree of sort of sense and chronology and you know (laughs) comparing something to something else and none of that's happening here you know he's got a piano up his nose for god's sake i mean it's not you know and we're talking about tomato ketchup in the first verse you know it's like it's nonsense out there yeah. yeah but i and i mean that in the best way possible it's nonsensical and yet it works you know yeah but it's it's so interesting that if you dig it's like there seems to be some sort of i want to say penis envy but that's the wrong phrase but there's this it's like there's almost like a sort of 
phallic anxiety going on because you know he's he's been damaged by his enemy's hose and his banana is older than the rest you know it's like <laughs> you know i'm like i mean just if you dig there's so much odd stuff in there you know the wind the wind played a dreadful cantata and it's like you know and the point at which i knew absolutely 100% knew that I was not supposed to be sitting here buying into them in any literal form at any point was at the point where he gives his pyjamas to Billy Budapest. Okay. Okay. It's like, he's waving a flag going, if, if you want to psychoanalyze this shit, then you are a fool to yourself. But at the same time I am doing because it's, it's all there for the taking. It's this, this, it's so wild that, you know, you, you can go as deep as you want. It's like an and just peel it back and find whatever you like to me this smacks very much of yellow submarine not the track the film mm. where okay, there is yeah, so yeah. much idiosyncratic like nonsensical stuff in that but you can there's layers to it you know it's it's that same kind of concept in my opinion where no, you can I, I, find substance in the weirdness you know yeah if, if you want it it's there and if you don't it's not in terms of the those lyrics and his vocal delivery and just the sheer desperation in his voice yeah, it's just it's yeah, it's a real highlight of the whole McCartney canon for me. Love it. And then of course he does almost a complete 180 with the next track, in my opinion. That's the wonderful Eat It Home. find that mccartney very often will give a shot back to his cavern club days a little bit and i I see this as kind of more of a slice of like straight old style rock a little bit at least the way it starts out yeah and i kind of i kind of like that he does that every it's kind of like a a harken back to his his roots a little bit and a kind of little palate cleanser after monkberry moon delight too yeah no i think in sequencing terms it definitely uh definitely achieves that Apparently there was uh, he he said that there was quite a lot of sexual innuendo here, which I think's nice. You know, so you know, basically it seems to have been a song about domestic bliss uh, slash cunnilingus. Well, I mean, let's face it, I, the title of the album you could take as uh, sexual innuendo if you wanted to. Ram, absolutely. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. No, no. Oh, totally. Yeah, totally. And I think, and again, you know, McCartney doesn't get accused of these things because it's always so sort of hidden in plain sight mm. but but still hidden that <laughs> you know it's there if you want it and it's not if it's not yeah. but it's 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 a great it's a great little tune but i, I like the idea that it's about the sort of you and me <laughs> let's just hang out here and have sex and dinner <laughs> you know, nice. screw everybody else you know but i think i think also lyrically as simple as that is it's almost conveying his want of something that simple after the turmoil and the complications of of his time especially towards the end in the beatles and now he's looking for this simplicity you know what i mean that you could i i also read it as that you know yeah and linda's vocals on it are great again you know it's, it's it's it adds it adds to the to the texture of what's going on around it and and some of the you know again it's deceptively complex because you get into the sections, you know, and then it's back into sort of straightforward for, for to the floor stuff. And it's like, okay, you know, even, even the simplest of McCartney 
track has you know a number of different melodies and counterpoint melodies going on and if that's not your thing it's not going to work for you but if if you're enjoying that then again if you if you stop and listen and go how many you know how many different sections are there to this you know apparently simple song it's always surprising with him i think a very difficult thing with the beatles mccartney lennon any of their material that they do is it's been overanalyzed to the point of sometimes you hear somebody say something about one of their songs and or or albums mm. you know, where did you get that from like you're looking a little too deeply but sometimes sometimes the stuff begs to be looked at that deeply yeah and uh, it's hard i find it very hard to separate the actual stuff that needs to be looked at deeply versus what people have assigned all these meetings to do you find that to be the case with a lot of these guys stuff yeah i don't know i mean i guess we are those guys in some ways so you've got to be careful what you say haven't you? <laughs> but so uh, you know we're cooler than them <laughs> that's right that is correct i don't know i mean i i, I don't know it, it depends on the day it depends on the album it depends on the interpretation i guess i guess what i'm also trying to ask is do you feel that sometimes too much meaning is assigned to their stuff simply because of who they are i think it's true of a lot of these sorts of music conversations generally uh, not necessarily just the beatles uh i i think it's more people like us reading into things that aren't there i mean i mean i've been in situations with you or through the state of america podcast recently where you know people have had sort of holistic readings of albums that are i just for me just were not there but that doesn't make anybody right or wrong it's just that's how you're interpreting it and i think that that's the fun of the game but yeah i, I mean it's, it's, the beatles clearly are chased down that rabbit hole further than anybody on earth admittedly yeah for sure i see it as like a painting almost like a good good music is like good good art in a way whereas you can you can look at a painting up on the wall and you can see it and you see what you see out of that painting and somebody else could see something completely different neither one is necessarily valid or invalid but it it's good enough to spark that conversation yeah no no that's that's, that's fair enough just on the subject of eat at home I, I, rather than talk about all these other tracks that might have gone on later i i think eat at home is one that could have been swapped out for uh my other favorite thing of the unreleased stuff which is uh, a love for you such an energy to it um that's a real high spot for me and i possibly i mean i just put them all together on a playlist because i want all of them <laughs> but but if i had to swap something out i would have swapped out eat at home for a love for you i think i could say that would be a move that would not be incorrect in any way i never would have thought of it but it, it would work it could definitely work but i would yeah, feel bad for something about that yeah, I mean, yes. Sure, sure. <laughs> we, don't, we don't want to lose anything here. Let's have a, a good hour, a good hour of ramming. Yes. Are we still talking about the album? Or? 
We're still talking oh, about okay. the album. I didn't know if we went on to something else. But... <laughs> no, we've not. We've not digressed into okay. that sort of <laughs> filthery. What? Oh, sorry. Cheap innuendos. I'm sorry. Have no place here <laughs> on the Classic Wax Podcast. Oh, no, they have every every place here. Every oh, place here. All right, good. I was worried for a second. I, I intend to lower the tone gradually, sort of we, you know, month on month by a couple of percent so that, you know, a few years from now, it'll be just wall-to-wall filth and you won't have noticed. I really admire you that you think the tone could be lowered. And that's impressive. <laughs> <laughs> that brings us along to a song that you know earlier I had mentioned you could possibly swap out for another day. I'm kind of mm-hmm. I go back and forth with this song a lot. Sometimes I really like it. Sometimes I'm a little indifferent to it. And that's "Long Haired Lady." It's a big production, isn't it? It's interesting. Yeah. Get some horns it, in there. Yeah, you got the whole the whole thing going on in there, and 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 he clearly was really into it. And apparently, he got very emotional in the studio with her singing on it because you know it was kind of about her. And I think it's I think it's good. I I don't. I, yeah, I see. When I go through it in my head again, you've got these wonderful different sections to it. I love the way you, you get into the that playful. Who's the wonderful, dear phenomenal lady? You know, it's like, whoa, where's this come from? This is a completely different thing, you know. And and again, her her playing the possibly wronged lover with you know the is this the, is this the only thing you want before? Which I assume is sex not the hair i have to say um <laughs> but that you know she's she's really going for it there and that's brilliant it's sort of you know playing a character at that stage there's so much going on here and then you get into all the love is long stuff at the end and it becomes a really big production but then when i come away from it from it i i wonder whether it's more than the sum of its parts or not sometimes because there's that's a long song mm. and i don't know that it necessarily a hundred percent justifies the the length but i'm nitpicking because we're on a podcast i certainly haven't taken it off my playlist which which tells you mostly what you need to know well i mean i could see that you know, sometimes you might think the means don't justify the ends i get it but the thing about this and, and i'll tie this back to our very first episode we did about stephen stills is sometimes you have to be careful with horns for me mm. you have to use them right or they sound they sound out of place to me and I can't decide here if they sound out of place to me or not. I'm not used to hearing horns like this, yeah. you know, in this kind of setting. That's what it is. You prefer you prefer strings, right? Yeah, I'm more of a more of an orchestral man. I think I'm the other way around. I think I think strings bother me more. I think for me, strings can over sugar the pill very quickly, whereas horns still have that slightly soul sort of Otis Redding kind of connotations mm. to me. When I think of you know, I think of Tower of Power and, you know, the Stax horns thing and, you know, all of this sort of stuff. And and so horns are less likely to bother me, whereas, yeah, orchestration I, can. I mean, don't get me wrong. The Black Crows, the Rolling Stones, many rock bands use horns to their advantage perfectly, whether it be mm. up-tempo rock stuff or, or slower stuff. You know, uh, like uh, an example would be Wyoming and me. 
black crows mm. you know, the horns are very subtle in there very perfect to the song but to me i don't know it's just it's it's a fine line for me always i get nervous when i hear a horn start going <laughs> you know yeah no fair enough fair enough but they don't they don't bother me here they don't bother me here i just wonder whether the whole thing in in totality gets a bit overblown but hey it's ram i forgive it <laughs> you'll give it a pass just this once yeah. i will and that brings us back to sort of a, a reprise of sorts and that's ram on again kind of fades back in you know subtly brings you back to the to the main melody of ramon do you think this is necessary here i love it and again this was eric the norwegian this wasn't his decision it's like and again amazing you know just give it to this guy and he's 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 chopped it he's not only has he sequenced it and added some sort of funny little bits in between tracks to sort of have little segues but he's he's chopped up one of the songs and and done it as a as a reprise later on. I think I think it's brilliant. I love it. I love that. I love any. I, I love stuff. I'm a sucker for stuff that. It's like we were talking about Wilco when you know he's, you had that little snippet of "I'm the Man Who Loves You," in a in the opening track at the end there in the cacophonous noise, or whenever it was, and um, you know that idea that it just gives it a bit more of coherence. You know, uh, it feels more like a sort of coherent whole. Uh, yeah, I love it. I, I do really like it. I just, it, the thing that detracts of it for me is I often wonder what it would be like as one complete song. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, um, it's like pigs on the wing on, mm. on, uh, because uh, there's, there's like on the cassette version of animals, Pink Floyd's animals, the pigs on the wing is one song. It's That's like, on the eight track. As a matter of fact, is it the eight track? There you go. Yeah. And it's like, what's all that about? With like a snowy white solo on it or something. It's like, how has this happened? But it's do because I think it shouldn't have been chopped up in the first place, apparently. Actually, do you know the, the 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 actual reason for that? I thought it was Waters chopped it up for the for the money. It was my understanding, and I know this, which is why some eight tracks are out of the normal sequence. They have to play mm-hmm. a certain way. And to get the continuity oh, right. right, it had to be one track, from what I understand. Oh, that's why they put it back together, I see. Cool. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I, I mean, like that snowy white solo in there, though. Yeah, I think it's pretty. I mean, cool. if it, if it, yeah, it is a great solo. It's just that it's not Dave Gilmore, so everyone hates it. But um, <laughs> yeah, it's just a great solo. Yeah. But yeah, no Ramon. The 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 second bit of Ramon for me, what makes it is is the little uh, little bit at the end. Yes, absolutely. Which, which is, do, do, would you like to talk about that? Shall I talk about that? I'm going to let you take the floor because you seem quite excited about it. And I like that excitement. <laughs> well, it's it's um. I think it's, is it uh, three songs or two? And uh, so it's, it's obviously, you know, who's that coming around that corner? And then it sort of disappears off, which is the beginning of Big Barn Bed from uh, the beginning of Red Rose Speedway, I think. Yes, beginning of Red Rose, which is a great, uh, great Wings track. So it, it references that, but it's also 
the figure from Great Day, which it's it's basically they're all they're the that that bit at the end there, and uh, Big Barn Bed are from Great a song he wrote in 1970 called Great Day, which doesn't appear till the end of Flaming Pie. Hmm. Bizarre. So it sort of gets, you know, it gets sort of quoted three times across his career. Once once at the end of Ramon, once at the beginning of uh, Red Rose Speedway, and once uh, at the end of Flaming Pie. It's brilliant. See, and I thought Rich Robinson kept song fragments hanging around for a long time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. See, I think I that's it. interesting, though, to for it to, to carry on like that. It kind of gives a thread to his catalog in a lot of ways, you know, when you do stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, and I love Big Barn Bed. I mean, I mean if there ever was a track that was complete nonsense that really is but again i just it's irresistible in terms of the performance and the and the the melody i just it's one of my that's one of one of my favorite wings tracks so it's great to hear this little sort of embryonic version of it on a uke on like you say on a ukulele of all things what's that about side note red rose speedway very underrated wings uh entry i have reconstructed a red rose speedway that um bears little resemblance to the original because i as 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 i previously stated i think the medley at the end of red rose speedway is just a total snooze fest there's some great stuff on it little lamb dragonfly and 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 big barn bad as you know as i said and uh get on the right thing which is but as uh, somebody pointed this out on another podcast but the the best stuff on red rose speedway is from the ram sessions so big barn bed comes from ram era as we know just discussed it uh get on the right thing is from the Ram Sessions, but with Wings overdubs on it. And Little Lamb Dragonfly is one of the Ram songs as well that didn't didn't get on Ram. That's why it's so good. Comes from Ram. Yeah, yeah. comes from Ram. There we are. <laughs> now, I'm not even going to ask about the existence of this playlist because I know it exists, but I would appreciate it if you share with me your revised Red Rose Speedway. Yeah, I've really gutted that one though. It's not it's not like Ram, Ram is very much a kind of I've taken Ram and added to it. I think my Red Rose Speedway is probably shorter than the original album, but basically I've just swapped out a load of stuff for a load of other stuff. Cause I think I think because that was going to be a double album and and just a lot of it a lot of it he I think he lost confidence he was a really non-confident period for McCartney that. And he lost confidence in that and just put it out as a single. And I don't think he put the, the strongest stuff on it in a lot of cases. So I'll be interested to see what you, what you make of that. I'll take the abuse if you think I've, I've gutted it. It's homework time, baby. I like it. <laughs> you always give me stuff to do, you know? Yeah. yeah. You don't do it, though, do you? I always do it. Do you? What, what didn't I do? Well, I listened to any of the playlists I've ever sent you. I've listened to every playlist you sent me except for Ram because I wanted to save it. Until we <laughs> so that brings us to the final track on the proper version of this album and that is the backseat of my car speed along the highway honey i want it my way but listen to her daddy's So 
what's your take on this one, Steve? Uh, I, I didn't like it for many years. I like it a lot more now. Again, there's some of that slurred background vocal stuff. I think this is where it bothers me most because this, there's some of the stuff riding, riding in and out of town start where it, there are lyrics to it and then it gets less and less lyric as it goes along and it sounds placeholdery. And it was really interesting to see him singing it in the Get Back documentary and, and really get a sense that it had been knocking about since the end of the Beatles. And I just, I just can't help but feel that it was it's still fractionally unfinished because those whatever on earth he's saying towards the end of the song there in the background, it just it sounds uh t- like it just sounds unfinished to me, which I find bothersome. But you know, I I like the Again, that's there's a lot of sex running through this album, and clearly this is a sex song in a, in a lot of ways. And I, I kind of I'd like the way that Maka does uh, sex. Obviously, not for you on whatever that recent album was, which is terrifying. <laughs> a dirty old man Maka is not what we want. But um, yeah, I think I think here I think it, you know as a sort of teenage lust song, it sort of still manages to be quite lovely rather than you know, dirty, which is, which is quite an achievement. Yeah. It's great. It's grown on me a lot over the years. Well, it does have a kind of quaintness to it that kind of makes it a little cleaner, a little safer. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think so. It doesn't remind me of anything particularly either. It's, it's sort of, it's very McCartney. It is. To me, it's almost a less successful attempt at what he did with 1985 at the end of Ben on the run. Like that's that kind of vibe to it. Yeah, that doesn't work quite as well. He really, really goes for the vocals in that final section, though. I mean, he hits some unassailable notes that no mortal being will ever reach the heights of. He really, you know, that that final orchestral section, he's he's really, um, really going for it, and that I love all that stuff. I love all that stuff, but it's not, it's not. I don't know. Would I have wanted it to end in some other way? No, I think this is the ending of Ram and I'm fine with that because I love Ram and I and I love it being here, but I wouldn't necessarily pick it out of a lineup for a McCartney playlist in another context. Agreed. But it is a big ending to the album. And I think it that is. he's a man that likes big endings. As I just mentioned, nineteen hundred and eighty five is a big ending. You know, he 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 yeah. goes for the goes for the gusto with those endings sometimes. Yeah, and it couldn't have been anywhere else on the album. It would have been it would have been badly placed at any other point uh it works here it works here and it works overall uh, i i like it but it, it's it's interesting because because i think one of the things we haven't talked about is is there's, there's there are so many sort of different musical influences in this album but it, i mean how how on earth do you class it because that that's that little um lyric that bothers me towards the end that little background vocal he's doing is kind of, of a country thing mm. and there's a lot of country here uh there's a lot of country around but it's it's so viewed through the McCartney sort of glasses that it's like doesn't sound like country at all, you know. And 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 so everything he's, I mean, I suppose with his music hall stuff, it does sound like music hall. But when he tries to do country, he's so completely off beam. No, <laughs> again, he, he lands nowhere near it, which is brilliant because, of course, then it sounds like something new, which is you know always great when artists try to do things and fail because you end up with some other other sound. Yeah, it's it's McCountry. Oh, are you going to trademark that? I just did. <laughs> That's great work. Have you been sitting on that for the whole episode? Just thought of it just now. I really am proud of that. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. 
that's you know you, you can write in with donations just for stuff like that folks. <laughs> i just earned all my money i don't, I don't get it but... yeah there's gonna be a special patreon episode and the only difference is going to be that you get that gag <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's ram in a nutshell there but of course we're going to address some of the tunes that are of the era of the sessions but didn't make the album and i'm going to uh I'm actually going to let you spearhead that, Steve, because you have a much firmer grasp on it than I do. Right. So we've talked about uh, Another Day, A Woman, A Why, the, the single. We've talked about Love For You, which I think is wonderful. I, I Personally, I would swap out if I had to under pressure for, for Eat At Home. Then you've got Hey Diddle. beautiful nonsense i did not realize that was from this session well he's a bit naughty he's a bit naughty because you'll i think hey diddle turns up on a couple of other archives as well yeah that's um, what i thought but, i thought i saw it on the band on the run one yeah it, it turns up in all sorts of funny places but this is the first time it turns up and also i think they've been a bit naughty with the mix and sort of you know stuck it through some you know 2020 style filters and you know done things to it and it's not quite the original you're listening to, but it's so great. It's so great, and that that did come from from here. I think certainly there's 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 footage of him sitting around doing it on an acoustic guitar with Linda on the grass, you know, in Scotland. So it's definitely from around that that period. Well, let's just say that it, uh, you know, sitting on the grass in Scotland with Linda yielded this, but it also got us Mulligan Tire. So you know. <laughs> Mm, yes <laughs> yes there is that yes little woman love is fine i like it perfectly well there's not a lot to say about it that's that you see, see um a love for you and little woman love are i can understand why they didn't make it because i mean just the titles will tell you how much has gone into those lyrically mm. the difference is the difference is that little woman love is it's sort of kind of a very generic kind of blues run through Whereas a love for you has just this incredible energy, as I said before, and I just just love it. I can't can't live without that one. After that, you've got two, three that I can live without. Three, the, the, the final three that don't make my playlist are the Great Cock and Seagull Race, which is just a kind of blues run through, you know, instrumental. Uh, Sunshine Sometime, which I didn't realise had lyrics until recently. There is a version with lyrics on it. Can't stand it. It's like bad yacht rock from the mid-80s. It's just, no, don't want it anywhere near it. Thank you very much. And then Road All Night, which is mad. And it's just him shouting a lot. Um, but brilliantly was remade by Roger Daltrey into a like wild, bombastic cover where I think he added lots of extra lyrics to it. And it's just, it's so awful. It's good. 
<laughs> hey sometimes some of the best stuff is awful but it's good oh yeah oh yeah no it's it's properly awful it's great that, that's that's well worth a play if you can stick that on i can't i don't even know what it's called i can't remember i, I think you might have titled it differently so that might take some research i'll see if i can find it but uh yeah that's that's you don't want to listen to that but but you do um <laughs> it's like a car accident you want to look away but you can't oh yeah oh yeah he's really going for it he's not holding back on that one um so yeah there's there's a few that that, that don't belong here but there's a, there's a, a number of tracks that i i cannot live without including hey diddle but certainly uh you know love for you little woman love oh woman oh why is the high spot for me so i, I can't live without that so i just take round and basically extend it to about an hour and i tend to forget that the original ram exists because i get so lost in that now so let me ask you this question because i'm very interested to know it's a two-parter where do you feel that ram falls into the whole spectrum of post beatles solo work from all members and where do you think it falls into just paul mccartney's catalog i mean it's easily top 10 of both and then it's just whittling it down from there i think i mean i i, I think i think that it's probably top three of his solo work i mean i mean generally the received wisdom these days is that his best two are band on the run and this and i i think that's fair i, I mean it's probably my favorite mccartney album mm. so i i think it, i think it might might be number one to be honest uh that's not a particularly controversial it wasn't particularly controversial opinion then but it, but it, it isn't now um at time has been very very good to it and i think it's yeah, I'd say it's probably top top five of the solo Beatles. I mean, obviously, all things must pass is mm. right up there. Lennon, I'm, I've, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I have a very mixed relationship with Lennon's solo stuff. Yeah, I, w- I would agree. I mean, certainly out of all McCartney's solo work, it, this is the one I go back to the most often and mm. and cherish the most. You know, obviously, you mentioned Band on the Run. I'm a very big fan of that as well. You know, but yeah, all things must pass in the in the scope of all of their solo work you know all things must pass is, is mm. way up there that being said all things must pass probably could have been a little shorter but that's a whole other conversation yes and also should have like a ton less reverb on it that too uh, but the, uh, the day that the day they release a totally dry mix of all things must pass is the day i take you know a day off work and sit there and listen to that with headphones <laughs> <laughs> oh i love fellow music people we all think the same <laughs> i would do the same thing so yeah, you know, it's amazing. So I would say out of five, what would you give this album? Oh, five, absolutely, easily, no question. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I think it's uh, for any minor flaws it might have, it comes out the other end of uh, uh, what you would call a perfect album, as far as I'm concerned. I think so, but uh, you know, the reviews at the time were absolutely awful. Yeah, well, you know, a lot of a lot of the classic albums got bad reviews when they first came out. True. You know? That's outside of the Beatles and everything. You know, Led Zeppelin was universally hated when when a lot of those albums came out, especially in America. What's the uh, you know the classic the, the classic John Landau one? You know that one? Which so so that John John Landau who who went on to become Bruce Springsteen's manager. Yes, Bruce Springsteen's manager was it was a reviewer at the time, and he he's, was the most famous review of this album. He said, "Hang on, I've got it here. I don't want to get it wrong because it's so good." Ram is so incredibly inconsequential and so monumentally irrelevant. You can't even 
yeah, and then it goes on from there. But yeah, that's the best bit. Yeah, incredibly inconsequential and monumentally irrelevant. Wonderful. He, he then goes on to say something along the lines of it's responsible for the death of the 60s because it's so bad. Um, and, you know, and yet here we are 50 odd years later still talking about it. So, oh, yeah, yeah, it's great. You know I mean? it's great. I think a lot of reviews of the time when they came out were being contrarian for contrarian's sake because these were former Beatles and some people were uh, sick of the Beatles, you know, being so revered. You know, a lot of the yeah. people that were more of the velvet underground kind of that kind of vibe yeah. you know a little more uh, bare bones yes and mccartney was the villain of the time as well because he mm. at that time was very much perceived to be the guy that had you know broken up the party so that that was against him and and also i think that things like uh uncle albert's and another day and then lennon shooting back and sort of you know saying things like how do you sleep you know I th- I think people who wanted to paint him as silly, you know, it's all oh, it's all a bit sort of silly and whimsical, isn't it? He, he he you know he was playing right into that. He was leaning into it, and he didn't help himself with a lot of that because I think people were getting in, you know, were getting into heavier things, and this seemed like a sort of flowery, upbeat album. Although it's not, it's actually you know lyrically, once you dig in, it, there's a lot of there's a lot of darkness on this album. Um, but it, it, you know, on initial listening, it sounds kind of lightweight. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, I think that is ultimately what adds to its longevity is there is meat, there is substance there. Oh yeah. So what superficially seems like maybe a little more lighthearted of a record, there's layers to it. So you can continually go back to it and enjoy it and find new things and, and, and really the best records, that's what they're made of. Yeah. And that's lyrically and musically with this. I think, I think yes. that the longer you spend with it, the more it reveals. Mm-hmm. absolutely well that steve is the sign of a five-star album there you go i would 100 percent agree so this has been fun man i really enjoyed this conversation i hope the folks out there enjoyed it too one of my favorite albums and one of yours too so i'm glad we got to uh, share absolutely. our opinions with the folks out there thank you my friend and next time on classic ranks we are going to be looking into a little band from boston uh, namely aerosmith and we're going to be checking out their 1976 album rocks so look forward to that i'm certainly looking forward to that and we will see you all next time